0: Dear Lord, accept these gifts, use them for your kingdom. This we pray, amen. Please remain standing now as we read God's word. Good morning, welcome, and we are reading this morning from Psalm 34. Psalm 34, right about in the middle, middle of your Bible, if you have a Bible, just Let it fall open right in the middle and look for Psalm 34. Hear God's Word. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. O fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. (coughs) The Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your Word to us that we have here in the Bible. Thank you. Holy Spirit, for being with us today, and our prayer is that you will shine the light of your illumining grace into our hearts. Help us, Lord. Help us to see what this passage says, not only about us and our condition and our need, but also about Jesus and the satisfaction of that need that we have in Him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's good to be back. I bring you greetings from our, uh, my church up in Orlando, Florida, University Presbyterian Church. And uh, for those of you whom I have not met, I would look forward to talking with you after the service and uh, hearing how you are doing and what brought you here to Christ the King. It's good to see this church growing and having an effect upon the community here at Vero Beach and around here. So today we're going to look at Psalm 34. You know, one of the hardest things to do when you are suffering is to believe that God is good. I don't know if you have ever heard the name Kara Tippetts. Uh, some of you might have run across that name before, Kara Tippetts. Uh, she and her husband Jason moved to Colorado Springs a few years ago to plant a church. In fact, it's a, it was a PCA church. Same denomination as Christ the King. And they lived in North Carolina, so they moved out to Colorado Springs to plant this church. And one morning, after they had been established there in their community, Kara was taking a shower and she felt a lump. She went to the doctor and she was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic cancer. It spread into her uterus and then to the lymph system behind her heart and then into her pelvic area and then into her brain and finally her skeletal system. But Kara Tippetts lived with her cancer very, very well. Her blog, some of you might have read, called... um, Well, I can't remember the name of it, but her blog ministered to thousands of people. She wrote a book called The Hardest Place. It won a Christian Book Award. And she wrote an open letter. Some of you might remember about a year ago, a young woman, age 29 or so, named Brittany Maynard, made the news. Brittany Maynard was uh, a woman with cancer. She had a tumor in her brain. And she decided that she wanted to end her own life through assisted suicide. So when Kara found out about Brittany Maynard, she wrote her a letter, and it was published openly as well, in which she begged Brittany not to do that, but to find hope in God and to continue to suffer just like Kara was suffering. So, Kara lived well with her cancer, but the cancer continued to grow and continued to spread. And at one point, she said this, and I quote She said, God has taught me to look for Him, to look for His goodness in the midst of my heart. I'm learning, she said, that the story of suffering is not the bad story, but it's God breaking me to look for His goodness. In my days. Listen to that again. Looking for God's goodness in the midst of my heart. That could really be a an appropriate title for Psalm 34. Because in verse eight of this Psalm it says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And yet David wrote these words out of the context of suffering. His own suffering. Why do I say that? Well, in this psalm, if you were looking carefully at the words as I read them, you saw that he's talking in verse 4 about fears. He talks in verses 6 and 17 about troubles. He talks about being brokenhearted and crushed in spirit in verse 18. And he says in verse 19, "...many are the afflictions of the righteous." So David, you see, in this psalm is being broken. He's being tested and stretched and crushed. And it's hard. What's going on? What would have provoked these words from David? Well, David is on the run from King Saul. Look at the title of the psalm. If you have your Bible open, please keep it there. Look at the title of the psalm. It says, Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. What's that all about? (laughs) Well, you would have to flip back in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 21, but I'll just put it into my own Reader's Digest words for you. In 1 Samuel 21, what's going on is that King Saul was trying to kill David. He was insanely jealous and envious of David. So David runs to the town of Gath, which was in Philistine territory, right? That was enemy territory. But David runs away. He goes to the town of Gath because he thought he could just sort of melt into the background in Gath and become maybe a servant of the king of Gath. But problem was the servants of the king of Gath recognized David. They had heard the stories. They had heard the songs that were sung up in Israel. You know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. See, the name of David, the fame of David had spread even down into Philistine territory. So David gets scared. Oh no, I'm running from King Saul, but now I'm in trouble in Philistine territory as well. They're going to kill me too. So David gets scared, he panics, and he comes up with a plan. And his plan was that he pretended to be insane. It's a... (laughs) you got to read the story sometime. It's almost comical. David pretended to be insane. He had a beard, right? And he began to drool and drooled all down his beard. And then he went to the gate of the town of Gath and started scratching on the door of the the gate as if to say to the people, look at how crazy I am. And so the king of Gath, whose name is Abimelech here in the title, also he goes by the name Achish, The king of Gath said, uh, hey, I don't need more crazy people in my kingdom. I've got enough of them in my own household. How about that for throwing people under the bus? (laughs) I've got enough mad, insane people to deal with. I don't need one more. And so he lets David go. Well, then in 1 Samuel 22, next chapter, we find out that David escapes and goes to a cave. A cave by the name of Adullam. And a sordid bunch of characters come to the cave of Adullam to join up with David. And for some time he's living on the run. He's still trying to stay away from Saul. He's constantly in danger, constantly trying to guard his life. Well, somewhere in there, somewhere between Gath and the cave of Adullam, it would appear that David took out pen and paper, as it were, and wrote Psalm 34. He's on the run. He's in trouble. He says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. I'm living a life of affliction, of fear, of trouble, of worry. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Sounds a lot like what Jesus says, doesn't it? In this world you will have what? Tribulation. Notice notice that verse, many are the afflictions of the righteous. It's there in verse 19. Notice that he does not say many are the afflictions of the unrighteous. He does not say many are the afflictions of people who don't know God. No, he says many are the afflictions of God's people, of the righteous, of those who are walking with Jesus. Many are their sufferings. And some of you this morning in this room know this only too well. And yet David can still say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is the man who takes refuge in Him. Alright, so with all of that introductory out of the way, what we want to do this morning is answer the question, Why, why can David say that God is good? When he has been suffering and when he is going to continue to suffer... Why can he still say in the midst of his affliction that God is good? That's a great question and it's especially an important question for those of you in this room this morning who are in a time of difficulty. How can the Bible convince you that even you can taste and see that the Lord is good? I'm going to answer that with three sentences. God is good because... He is present in your sufferings, number one. He will deliver you out of your sufferings, number two. And finally, God will give justice to those who are causing your suffering. So let's break that down and let's go by one by one there. Why can David, why can you say that God is good? First of all, because God is present in your sufferings. It's all over this psalm. Verse 6 says that this poor man, and David's talking about himself, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Verse 15, he says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. Verse 17 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. And verse 18 says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. So again I say... You can say God's good because He is present. He is seeing, watching, hearing, being near you in your sufferings. You know, it's, it's almost funny. During the night or early, early, early in the morning when my wife, her name's Susie, when my wife is still asleep, I can make the slightest noise and she wakes up. It's so frustrating I can, uh, if I have to get up, I walk, and maybe there's a little bitty piece of paper on the floor, and I step on the paper, and it just makes that slight little crinkling noise. My wife's awake, just like that. Why? Why is she such a light sleeper? Those of you who've been moms, you know why. It's because she is a mother. (laughs) We have four children, and during the time when our kids were little, my wife would hear a cough in the other room, and she'd be up and out of the bed and into that room checking on our little girl or a little boy or she would hear a cry and she'd be you know lickety-split up out of bed into that room that's why she is even today while we are empty nesters she is still a very light sleeper and you know what that's a lot like god that's how god is in fact god is even better because the bible says that he never sleeps He never sleeps. Wasn't it in our reading? Yeah, in the Gloria that we sang earlier. By morning dawn or evening shade, His watchful eye ne'er sleepeth. God is a good God because He's always there. I love the story, don't you, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's very familiar. We've learned it even since we were little kids in Daniel chapter 3. There they are, those three godly men. There they are in the fiery furnace because they refuse to bow down and pay homage to the golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And when the king looks through the little window into the furnace, what does he see? He not only sees those three men, but he sees a fourth person in there, a fourth man standing in the midst of the fire, right there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the fourth one, he says, looks like a son of the gods. And that's the closest that Nebuchadnezzar can come to talking about Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God with a capital G himself, Jesus pre-incarnate, before he became a little baby born in Bethlehem, he joined Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there in the fiery furnace and he was standing there with those believers in their suffering. I think of those Christians for whom Glenn prayed earlier today. Those Christians who are being beheaded in other lands. And there's that... Fourth man standing in the midst of their suffering. Christ is so aware of the troubles and trials of His people. He comes into their midst and is present with us in our suffering. He's present in your pain. You know, I only know a few of you, but I know that this subject touches a nerve with many of you because some of you are suffering today, and I want you to know on the authority of God's Word, that God is present in your pain. He feels it right along with you. He is walking beside you, standing with you in the fiery furnace, even as you suffer. The Lord, he says in this psalm, is near to the brokenhearted. If you could bear with me with this little simple analogy, when my son Michael was young, just learning how to ride a bike. You know, many of you moms and dads remember the day when you took off the training wheels. And you were going to dare to see your little boy or your little girl ride that bike for the very first time. I ask you, did you just stand there and push him or her off as though, oh, just try your best? No. What did you do? You ran alongside that bike because you knew it was going to fall over. You knew that that little boy or girl was going to scrape his or her knee. And so you would not dare to let that happen. You were there right next to the bike ready to catch it when it fell. And that's how I see God revealing His character to us in Psalm 34. He's present in our pain. He wouldn't dare let us suffer alone without His strengthening grace. God counts your tossings. Many of you toss at night, toss and turn. God counts your tossings. It says that in Psalm 56 verse 8. It says that He counts your tossings and puts your tears in a bottle. What a tender image of our God. It says in Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You can only touch someone who's close to you, right? Jesus is close to you and He is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. So the first thing we see in this psalm that proves to us that God is good is that He's present as we suffer. But the psalm goes on and gives us even better news. Not only is God present in our pain and that's why He's good, but He delivers us out of our sufferings. He clearly says that in this psalm. The word delivers is in Psalm 34 four times. Maybe you caught it as I was reading the psalm. It says, God delivered me from all my fears. The angel of the Lord delivers them. The Lord delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord delivers him out of them all, that is, their afflictions. It's the Hebrew word not sal. Not sal. It means to rescue or provide a way of escape or pull out or pluck. So over and over again, the Bible is saying in Psalm 34 that God plucks us out of our sufferings. And He also uses the word saves. Two times in Psalm 34, verse 6 and verse 18, the Lord saved him out of all his troubles. He saves the crushed in spirit. All right, now here's where we're going to have to do some thinking. Because when you hear that, God delivers you from all your suffering. God saved me from my trouble. When you hear that, it almost sounds like David is promising us a problem-free life. Wouldn't that be a very very superficial way of reading that? Oh, God delivers me from all my trouble. I, I... I'm going to be one of those who believe that if I just have enough faith, God will heal me and make me wealthy and prosperous all my life. Is that what this psalm is teaching? Some of you are also probably thinking, now wait a minute. I'm a Christian. I've tried to follow after the Lord and God hasn't delivered me from trouble. I've suffered a lot, you might be saying. My spirit has been crushed at times. I've lost people who were close to me. I've been unemployed or I've had to endure loneliness or rejection or betrayal or I've had cancer. I've had terrible things happen to me, you might be saying. So what's the deal? Is God tricking me here? Is is God lying to me? Is this just a, a fantasy, all this stuff about God delivering people? No, it's not a fantasy. Pay attention to the words. Here's where we need to really be honest with the Bible and and consider the whole of biblical teaching. David does not say that God delivers you from pain. Does he say that anywhere in that psalm? It doesn't say that God delivers you from pain. Nor does David say that God spares you from fear and trouble. You're still going to experience those things. And some of you are experiencing them right now. I'm sure that we have people this morning among us who are suffering physically or emotionally or relationally. You might even be spirit- suffering spiritually, you might feel very far away from the Lord. Some of you are suffering today. My goodness, the author of the psalm suffered. David suffered. And, and so how in the world could he say you know, that, that life is easy, life is a bed of roses? It's, it wasn't. It wasn't for him. It wasn't for Jesus. Jesus experienced all those things. And so it could not mean that if you just love God enough, your life will be free of suffering. The Bible does never, ever teach that. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You name almost any character in the Bible. And almost every one of them was a man or a woman of suffering, who knew trouble, who knew what tribulation was all about. No, we walk the Calvary Road just like Jesus did. That's the path to which Jesus calls us. But I will tell you today what God delivers us from. He delivers us who believe in Him as we suffer from hopelessness. He delivers us as we suffer from despair. Through the hardship, through the trial, God's grace makes it possible for you to keep going, to suffer well with faith. Faith in, what? The goodness of God. Remember what Kara Tippett said? Faith in His goodness in the midst of our heart. See, we're in that trial, we're in that, that suffering, we're in that fiery furnace, if you will. And in the midst of it, God delivers us from utter despair and from the sense of utter abandonment. He delivers us from that and gives us hope even as we go through our trial. And one day, one day, if you are trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, guess what? You're going to be in a place where there is no suffering ever, where there is utter peace. That's the home to which we long to be, don't we? One day we will be ultimately delivered not only from the power of sin and the penalty of sin, but the very presence of sin and suffering. God will get you home one day. One of the Psalms says, Weeping may tarry for the night. But joy comes when? In the morning. And that's the day for which we're longing this this morning, aren't we? We're longing for that day when we will be fully delivered from our suffering, not just from its despair, but from its presence. And in the meantime, in the midst of your heart, He gives you His Spirit to strengthen you and help you persevere. He gives you His church to encourage you and help you to make it to the end of your race. He gives you the means of grace. What are they? Prayer, right? The sacraments. We celebrated the Lord's Supper last week. The Lord's Supper, baptism. He gives you His Word, the Bible to remind you of precious truths that help you to keep going. He gives you the good news that this life is not all there is, that there's coming a day when everything sad will come untrue, as C.S. Lewis put it, when the loss will be paid back in full, when your body won't hurt anymore, when the loneliness will end, when the tossing and the turning will have been finished forever, and you will be forever with the Lord. It's just like Kara said. The story of suffering is not the bad story. God is making you better. Surely it it hurts. It's horrible. But God is making you better through your suffering. As Paul says in Romans 5, suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So taste and see that the Lord is good. He's A, present in your suffering. B, He will deliver you out of your suffering. But then the third and last thing I want you to see in this psalm is that God is going to give justice to those who cause your suffering. Look at verse 16. It says, "...the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth." I want you to notice that there's no promise of deliverance here for those who do not follow the Lord. Instead, they die without hope. Now, just just let that soak in a little bit. Those who do not have the Lord in their lives die without hope, they won't even be remembered in eternity. Their memory will be erased, you might say, from the hard drive of heaven. Verse 21 says that affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Condemned. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? But that's the message of the Bible. The Bible says that there is coming a day of judgment. A day of judgment when God will vindicate His people... And those are called the righteous in verse 21. And on that same day, God will punish every single one who has rejected Him. And those He calls the wicked in verse 21. And on that day, listen, I know earlier today Clayton said jokingly that uh, there were two groups of people in the world. That is true. There are only two groups of people in the world, the righteous and the wicked. And on that day of judgment, you will fall into one or the other of those groups of people. Now look, I, I love you. I love coming to this church. I love getting to know you better, but I've got to tell you the truth that you're in one of those two groups on that grand day. And you know what I used to think? I used to think that, okay, what that means is that the good people are the righteous. People who do good and do good things and try to obey the Lord and try to be religious. And then the bad people are the people who don't do those good things. Who ignore God and who live a, a profligate life and do all these bad things that you read about. So that's what that is, right? Is that right? The wicked and the righteous are the bad people and the good people? No, that's not true. There are no good people. There are no good people. We're all sinners. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's really no good people in the world. They're just bad people and worse people. (laughs) And so we've got a major, major problem. We all deserve to be punished. No, listen. Please let me correct this misunderstanding. The difference between the two groups the righteous and the wicked, in verse 21, is verse 22. Look at verse 22. It says that the Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Do you see it? Do you see what the difference is between the righteous and the wicked? It's the word redeem. Redeem. It means rescue or purchase out of slavery and set free. So see what verse 22 is telling us is that God offers a rescue from sin. See, every human being is a slave to sin. Every human being deserves God's judgment and condemnation. But God didn't want to just let us go that way. He sent His Son To redeem us. Jesus Christ came as the Redeemer or the Rescuer to live the life we're supposed to live, to die the death that we deserve to die. And if you will do two things, simple as pie, right? Two things. Turn away from your sinful, self-reliant and self-righteous life and trust. See, they both start with T. Turn and trust. Trust that what Jesus did for you on the cross is everything that God expects to allow you to be with Him forever. If you will trust in what He did for you on the cross, that's what it means to take refuge in Him. It means to run to Jesus and say, I cannot save myself. I trust that what you did on the cross saves me. I trust that your righteousness is enough for me. My sin given to you, your righteousness given to me. I'm going to trust that. You know what will happen when you turn from sin and trust in Jesus? You move from the wicked group into the righteous group. And on the day of judgment, you will stand and you will hear God say, You are not condemned. Come enter the joy of your Lord. So God, you see, will punish those who cause suffering. That gives us hope in a world that is frequently very evil, right? A world that is full of sin, full of injustice. One day God's going to make all things right. One day God's going to balance the scales. He's going, to, he's going to execute justice for once and for all. And so we must persevere in this very unsteady world to continue to trust that God is going to do these things because He is good. So what should be our response to Psalm 34? Well, two things I'll just leave with you and these are good takeaways. Do you like takeaways? you like practical application? Let me, let me urge you to do two things in response to Psalm 34. Bless God and trust God. Easy to remember. First, bless God. Isn't that what David does in verses 1 through 3? He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Even even here in the cave of Adullam, even here on the run, constantly in danger of my life, I will trust, or rather, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble... Hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Bless the Lord. What does it mean to bless someone? To bless someone means to speak good words about him or her. Well, to bless God means to speak good words about Him, both to Him and to others. To boast in Him means to be proud of God. To be glad that He is who He is and He has done the things that He has done in your life. And that's what David does in these first six verses. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. I am proud of God and I want you to know. This poor man cried, he said, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. You know what David's basically doing? He's sharing his testimony. That's Christian speak for telling your story. When's the last time you told someone your story? Your story of what God has done in your life. How you used to be and how you are now. Who who have you told that to recently? Have you told somebody your story? Well, let me give you a homework assignment, okay? Your homework assignment this week, maybe over lunch today. uh, Maybe if you're among some of your friends this week, you can do this. Your homework is to take verse 4. Look at verse 4 for a moment. And I want you to finish this sentence. And tell this to somebody else. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from... And I want you to fill in the blank. And tell that to somebody. Tell it to your child. Tell it to your... Call up your mom or dad if you've got a living mother or father somewhere. Tell a friend. Tell your neighbor. I sought the Lord and He answered me and you know what He delivered me from? And fill in the blank. Okay, that's your your assignment because that's how you bless the Lord. By speaking good words about Him. And you know what I think we find, and many of you would agree with this, I'm sure, that the bigger we make God, the smaller become a lot of our fears and problems. So let's make God big this week by blessing Him. And then the second response to Psalm 34 is to trust God. Trust Him. If He's good, if He is present in our suffering, if He's going to deliver us from it, and if He's going to vindicate us one day, then we can trust Him in the present. I love verse 7. And sometimes I wonder if we live in light of verse 7 enough. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. The angel of... Can it be that angels are actually around us at all times and we're not even aware of it, protecting us from things, delivering us from things that would have happened otherwise. Verse 7 reminds me of that story in 2 Kings 6. I don't know if you remember this, but it has to do with the prophet Elisha. He had a servant named Gehazi and one day they were in Dothan. Dothan, Alabama, believe it or not. No. No, Dothan. not A different Dothan. They were in Dothan, which was a city north of Samaria. And the city was surrounded by enemy armies. But Elisha said to his servant, Don't be afraid. Because his servant was just really, really nervous. Don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed that God would open the eyes of his servant so that he would see what Elisha saw which was that the mountains around Dothan were full of horses and chariots of fire. Do you understand that? That around you are horses and chariots of fire encamped around you? And the angel of the Lord in verse 7 might even be a reference to Jesus Christ Himself. Many times in the Old Testament, he is referred to as the angel of the Lord, a pre incarnate presence or appearance of Jesus Christ. So here's another bit of homework. Have you been a worry wart lately? Take those worries to Jesus and trust him. In other words, as it says in verse 8, take refuge in him. Well, I've told you about Kara, she died this past March. She died at the age of 38, very young. She left behind a husband and four children between the ages of 5 and 13. But in her final months of life, Kara lived Psalm 34. You really ought to read some of her story. Just Google Kara Tippetts and you'll find all this out. She blessed the Lord and she trusted the Lord. Here's what Kara said shortly before she died. The world says I should be angry, that I should be shaking my fist at God. But suffering isn't a mistake. It isn't the absence of God's goodness because He's present in pain. I know I've got cancer. I know I'm going to die of it. But I also know that I have today and in this today I get to live well. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the boy or girl who takes refuge in Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, often we do not understand why You call us to suffer. But we see in Your Word that since Jesus suffered, we who follow Him will suffer too. So thank You, Lord, that You're present in the pain. Thank You that You deliver us from hopelessness and use our suffering to strengthen us and make us better. And thank You for the day that is coming when all wrongs will be made right, Your people will be vindicated, and sorrow and evil and fear and sin and death will not even be remembered. Lord, would You help us by Your Spirit to bless You at all times, to trust in Your goodness, even when we don't understand it, And to turn away from evil and do good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond.